Welcome to Run This World. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur turned 51-year-old mom of a fifth grader. And no matter what stage and age I'm in, I always feel happier when I'm learning, growing, and connecting. And when I find amazing things that help me learn, grow, and connect, I naturally want to share. This is an episode in a special series about women, midlife, and menopause. My goal is to help women understand, learn, and handle the changes we experience as we age. We're obviously very different emotionally and physically at 50 than we were at 20 or 30 or 40. I just so happen to be in the perimenopausal stage of life. It's so lovely. So much of this series focuses on what happens during the transition before, during, and after menopause. Today, I'm trying something new. I'm interviewing a friend, someone who's been on the show before. Check out episode 139. It's called Elizabeth Krause Asks Herself Three Questions Every Day. We recorded that episode years ago, and she's amazing. Um, Elizabeth is a powerhouse businesswoman who I've often called when I need career advice, and she always delivers for me. She's strong. She's brilliant. She's an incredible leader and role model to many. So when she reached out not too long ago and said she has a story that she wants to share and the best way to do it would be on the podcast, I didn't hesitate. The hook is that she didn't tell me any details. I had no idea what she's going to share, only that um, she'd recently been through an experience that changed her life, and she needed the world to know about it, and we may as well put it on the show, and if it didn't turn out good, so what? We just wouldn't, we wouldn't air it. So here's the thing, everybody, you are going to listen to an episode today, an interview that is as new to you as it was to me when I heard it. (laughs) So get ready to go through this ride with me today. Before you get to hear from Elizabeth, I can't wait to share the latest and greatest from our sponsor, Inside Tracker a company that wants to help you maximize your health at every age and stage. They offer services that help you monitor your blood work so you can achieve your optimal health. Hear that? Optimal. So in the past, I thought I had to go to a doctor, uh, get an order for blood work, and then go to the hospital or lab, whatever they told me to go to, and get my blood drawn, right? That's how it used to work. Then. After a while, sometimes a week or more, the doctor's office would leave a message saying, everything is normal. And I have quotes around normal because it may be normal on a range for the average person, but that definitely doesn't mean that every marker is optimal. So for example, in the past, I had a normal ferritin level at four. Okay, so they called and said, everything's normal on your blood work. And I had been feeling like really sick and run down and I kept getting sick. And I finally said, can I see the blood work? And I looked and ferritin, the range for ferritin was three to 100 and mine was a four. So that's normal to them. 
right? But for a 50-year-old female athlete who works out a lot at altitude, this was definitely not optimal. So there's so much you can learn about yourself. And with Inside Tracker, you don't need a doctor's referral. You can do this on your own. You can learn what's going on inside your body. You can take charge of your health. Simply go to insidetracker.com backslash run this world and pick a test that includes all the markers you want to cover. If you don't live near a lab like me, I live in a small mountain town. You can sign up for their mobile blood draw service. I think it's an extra $99. That's right. And they'll send someone to your house. It's fast and easy. I've done it twice. I'm not going to say it's painless because, you know, nobody likes getting sticked in the stuck, stuck, sticked, whatever in the arm. But, uh, but it's as easy as it can possibly be. So don't wait. There's no reason to wait. Do it now. Go to InsideTracker.com backslash run this world so they know you came from me and you'll get 20% off their entire site. And now, everybody, it's time. Let's hear from today's mystery guest, Elizabeth Krause. Well, hello, Elizabeth. I uh, am very excited to be sitting here looking at your gorgeous face, smiling face, and wondering what the heck this mystery topic is going to be, because this is the very first podcast I have ever done where I have no idea what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for agreeing to do what I asked you to do, which is I just sent you a text message that said that I am I have a story that I am dying to tell and that your podcast is the perfect place to do it. So thank you. Well, let's get the show on the road. Don't keep me waiting any longer. What are we talking about today? What the heck happened? Uh, so about six weeks ago, I had a serious health scare that resulted in the most challenging, but also the most transformative two weeks of my life. I experienced a perfect storm of life events, which were exacerbated by three things that directly relate to your podcast. Okay, what are I you? have been <laughs> I've been on hormone replacement therapy or HRT for seven years. I am now at a totally different point in my midlife body changes, and I failed to sufficiently account for those changes as it relates to my HRT. And in very similar ways that I have heard you describe on your podcast, I have made tremendous progress with my body image and exercise addiction issues. But in large part because of this progress, I unintentionally allowed my five foot, seven and a half inch self to dip to 100 pounds. Oh my God. Yes. This, combined with a series of life events and the fact that I, my loved ones, and most medical professionals are unequipped to handle eating disorder, mental health, and hormone-related health issues, caused me to have a physical and mental breakdown in which I was unable to cognitively send an email for three days and in which my heart rate would not go below 80 beats per minute for five days. 
And I am an endurance athlete with a resting heart rate of 56. (laughs) I learned so much from this experience. And I am feeling more inspired than ever before because I see the power in the story. And you, more than anyone, have inspired me to share all of it. The most beautiful, the most embarrassing, and the most deeply hurtful details of my experience so that maybe someday no other woman will have to have a mental breakdown to learn how to address their hormone and body image issues. Oh my God. Goosebumps over here, girl. I can't believe <laughs> what I'm hearing. Um, oh, uh, first of all, I'm just so grateful that you're here with us. You hit a rock bottom. Yeah. Big time. What? Um, I, where do we even start? Do we start at the breakdown or do we go back in time? You know, there's all sorts of details that led up to this. Uh, this has been, I'm 41. This has been 41 years in the making. I I think some of these details will come out as we talk about it. But as I was thinking about how to share this story, I think it might actually be great to use the framework of the most beautiful, the most embarrassing, and the most deeply hurtful things that came out of this experience. I love that. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. In better terms. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I'll start with the most beautiful, which directly relates to something that I most admire about both of us, which is that we are (laughs) oversharers. Yes. Uh How else are we going to help all of these other people who are wallowing in similar waters or on paths to destruction? Yeah. I mean, you got to share. Okay. The most beautiful thing that's come out of this is that my willingness to share some of these details has inspired other people to share theirs. The most beautiful of which is that my mother told me that she was bulimic for seven years. And the only reason why she was able to heal herself to get out of that was me. Because she had to heal herself to get pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, like you, have made huge strides with my body image issues. There was a time where I would do an entire half Ironman just so that I could have a large Dairy Queen blizzard because I loved that so much. Yes. Yes, I can relate. And now I'm totally happy with an hour of swimming followed by 15 minutes of yoga and like a turkey sandwich. And so... (laughs) (laughs) But like you... I stopped stepping on the scale. My husband and I were splitting our time between Boulder and Vail, Colorado. And we switched that last year for Big Sky and Helena, Montana. And my scale was in storage for like 18 months as a part of that process. And I didn't even think about it. And because of the pandemic and all these things that were uncorrelated, like 
we stopped eating out as much. So I was getting less fat. I wasn't going to the gym. And so I wasn't seeing myself in a tank top and shorts and in those huge mirrors. And people who would see me every day in those tank top and shorts weren't seeing those either. Nicole, you are so brave in what you share. As evidenced by the last email that I got from you, the subject line was vagina dilators, (laughs) which I feel admittedly super uncomfortable even saying. (laughs) The hardest thing for me to admit in all of this is that I completely unintentionally got to 100 pounds, but subconsciously, I realized that there's a part of me that's less afraid of being underweight than overweight. And there's a lot of screwed up stuff in that statement. Totally. And I am not ashamed of that because it's totally reasonable. My grandmother achieved tremendous things in large part because she was beautiful. I come from this long line of incredibly driven and extraordinary women. And my grandmother grew up during the depression, which deeply scarred her. And she saw her beauty as her best path to upward mobility. And she freaking rocked that. She married a man who became a millionaire. And because of that, I have had tremendous privilege. And she is so, she was, she, she, passed away, unfortunately, but she was so devoted to being a mother that she died of Alzheimer's. And um, I was with her toward the end and uh, she was living in Florida and we walked along the beach and she kept asking me the same question like every 30 seconds. And this small child was playing on the beach and she stopped and started playing with that child and was her old self again. Because she loved being a mother. And the way that she showed her love was to instill in her daughters that they needed to be beautiful and thin. And my mom was deeply scarred by that. And she wanted me to have a life in which I didn't feel that way. And as a result, because her mother controlled food, my mother's way of showing love was to let us have any food that we wanted. And so she took us through McDonald's drive throughs and she always had cookies and bread and all sorts of baked goods on the counter. And she taught us that sugar was okay, but she also taught us that sugar was a reward. And all those things <laughs> shaped who I am in many good ways and in also some ways that are pretty hard. Um, I am relating. I'm sure so many people are relating. I mean, to much of this and especially the food as reward part. Um, but what's also hitting me is that you did some deep diving here and like, how did it feel when you realized you wanted to uncover your history in regards to food and eating? Like you went back in time And either talk to your mom or put the pieces together to figure out this is how you got where you are. How did that feel? What did that process look like? 
Yeah. So I've been putting this process together for 41 years. I didn't just realize this stuff in the last (laughs) three weeks. My two best qualities are self-awareness and self-analyzation. And it wasn't until this experience that I fully realized the power of that. It also wasn't until this experience that I fully realized how that can backfire on me too, in large part as it relates to this oversharing. So when this whole thing happened to me, when I had a mental breakdown, I saw one of my good friends five days later when I was seeing in 360 degree view all the things that I was learning from this experience. And I just said to her, this is the best week of my life. (laughs) I am so excited about all the things that I'm learning. And I shared all this deep stuff about my eating disorder and mental health issues and all this stuff. And she thought that I was having a psychotic event. And I realized in that process, and part of that was intelligently, well, it was all intelligently informed, but But part of it was that I was having some physical symptoms. So as part of this mental breakdown, my eye was twitching and my voice was too fast. And so she was making some very reasonable assumptions. But I also learned in this process through that interaction and through many others that most people aren't used to or comfortable with people sharing this much and with their ability and excitement over all of this self-analyzation. And sometimes it really scares people because they think that I'm not sharing the truth. They think that I'm hiding something. And so they think that there must be more things that I should uncover. They also may have been raised like my mother's generation to learn that they're supposed to hide all those things. And so it's uncomfortable for them to talk about that stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, what else is hitting me is when you admit to something that could be considered like a fault or something wrong with you, you know, in quotes here, other people often turn the the mirror inwards and they're like, well, maybe she's judging me because she thinks I also have that. And that makes people really uncomfortable. And one of the topics that can be very uncomfortable for people when I talk to them is about drinking and being sober. Mm. Because a lot of people are like, well, if she doesn't drink anymore and she got sober, but I'm sitting here drinking a beer, is she judging me? And so that could also lead to people feeling uncomfortable when you actually get down and dirty and start sharing. But I also am like thinking about your situation with your friend where you probably seemed manic. I did, which is an important detail as it relates to this audience in particular. So I had been on hormone replacement therapy, as I mentioned, in addition to some thyroid medication, which can all cause symptoms, including high heart rate, et cetera. And I was 100 pounds. And I knew that I was too thin. I was working on that. It was for a lot of related and unrelated reasons. One of which was a year ago, I had a cancerous ovarian tumor and I had to have my ovary removed. And 
I have been on hormone replacement therapy since my 30s because I had some issues that I'm happy to talk about at some point, but I'm not totally sure it's, it's important for this conversation. Uh, but then when I had that ovary removed, it, it added additional changes. So I've been trying to sort of figure all those things out. And I moved to a totally different climate and a totally different environment. And the most important lesson that I learned in that is that I like having a routine, especially as it relates to exercise and eating. And I tried to take the routine that had been working for me for 15 years with a new body that had aged and in a new place. And it didn't work. And for most of my life, I have struggled to control my urge to eat too much. And I got really good at that. And so I don't think that my body was allowing itself to recognize the signals that were telling me that I was really hungry. And I thought that I had lost like seven pounds. And I don't know really why I wasn't stepping on the scale that much. It seems obvious that even though my scale was in storage, that I could have gone to a gym and stepped on a scale. I, there might be some subconscious stuff in there. But anyway, you know, all, all these things started to happen. And I was going through a lot of emotional stuff. This move was a real challenge for me. I have a tremendous network of people in Colorado. And I didn't have any of that in Montana. And it's freaking cold in Montana. <laughs> and I swim a lot and the pools are colder. And I just didn't calculate all that stuff well. So all that stuff happened. I had a particularly emotional couple of weeks and I showed up at the airport in Colorado and my friend who knew all of this history but had not seen me in six months and also has a history working with people with eating disorders, picked me up from the airport and saw how thin that I was and said, I am terrified. And she shared with me that if I told her that, you know, I was really tired because of all this emotional stuff and I knew that I was too thin and I was really excited to go home and have a huge meal because I needed to eat. And... She got scared because when people get so thin and they've been intentionally depriving themselves of food, if they start to really eat, they can actually kill themselves if they are that thin. And so she said, I'm afraid you're going to kill yourself if you keep eating. I think you need to go to the ER right now. I'm, I'm going to take you. And I was in an exhausted and physically depleted state. And I told her, I'm not going to go to the ER, which actually was definitely the bravest thing that I have ever done because that particular friend is a tremendously persuasive person whom I have incredible respect for. And I stood up for myself and said, I'm willing to go tomorrow, but I need to get some rest. And so I went home and fell asleep. And I woke up at three in the morning. And started feeling scared that maybe she was right. And so I got up, I had some breakfast, but I really needed to eat a lot. And I didn't because I was afraid. And I went to the ER in an emotional state. 
and told them that I really needed to eat, but I wanted to have some blood work done. And I had to wait two and a half hours before they allowed me to eat. And in that process, my body started to break down and I could feel it. I was totally conscious. And I got to the point that I couldn't perform normal functions on my phone. And when they finally allowed me to eat, they gave me apple juice when I was extremely depleted. And I started to exhibit manic behavior. And I could feel that. And I could feel my heart racing. And they thought that it was an onset of a psychotic event. And that was obviously scary. So all that happened. They did a psych consult, decided that I was of sound mind and didn't really know what was happening to me, but I believe that they missed some important things that I didn't catch. First of all, my heart rate was at 80 that entire time. I have a resting heart rate of 56. I was under a lot of anxiety, but I run at a pretty good pace at 80. Mm -hmm. Then, because I was 100 pounds, I went into the ER and a very homogenous community that have a lot of people like me who are type A entrepreneurs, who are prone to eating disorders, and who are very good at lying when they are doing something to self-destruct. I believe that they thought that I was intentionally anorexic. I also have been battling contamination OCD. So contamination OCD is defined as spending an average of one hour or more each day sanitizing and preventing disease. And this is something that I believe I've always had OCD, which has taken different forms of my life, but it's never gotten to the point where it was preventing me from doing the things that I wanted to do. And this was triggered during the pandemic. And at the height of the pandemic, I was spending an average of about two hours per day. Uh, now I'm at about 30 minutes. It's something that I'm still working on. But I shared all of this in case something related to that was related to what I was experiencing. And so I think they made a lot of assumptions. I also learned in that ER and through this entire experience that medical professionals and a lot of my loved ones and just a lot of people have judgments about hormone replacement therapy. And I was encouraged to go off all of my meds. And I was also encouraged to go off my thyroid medication, which made sense at the time because leading up to this, I was really having trouble sleeping, which I never have. I am an excellent sleeper. And so part of what was exacerbating my emotional distress is that I had had insomnia for about seven days. And so thyroid medication in particular can, and, and testosterone, which I was also on, can exacerbate those problems. And so I was encouraged to go off of them cold turkey. I think all of that created this perfect storm, which made it so that my heart rate was unable to go below 80 for five days. And as a result, I was eating more than six times 
what I had ever eaten in the past. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. When I was telling medical professionals this, well, first of all, they thought I was going into diabetic shock, which was a very reasonable conclusion. And they tested me for that. That wasn't the case. And so their next logical thought was that I was either having some sort of a psychotic event or that I was finally allowing myself to eat how much it really needed to eat, even though I knew in my heart that was not true because I, I was too thin, but I was aware that I was too thin. I hated the way I looked. I was taking steps to gain weight and they didn't believe me. And I didn't realize until I had the opportunity to listen to one of your podcast episodes this morning, the one about the great white shark, that maybe this heart rate thing could have been related to my hormone issues because that woman shared that she couldn't get her heart rate below 80 to 100. Yeah. Wow. And I haven't had the opportunity to share that with a medical professional, but that was such a valuable piece of information for me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can I can I pause us? Yes. So I want to just recap for a moment and then we keep going. So you had flown back to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And this is where your friend said, you need to go to the ER. You said, no, I'm not going to do that. But that night or three in the morning the next day, Would you say that's when the breakdown started to occur, the signs started to occur? And when you went into the ER and you were sitting there for two and a half hours before they would actually see or start treating you, that's when the breakdown started happening, the physical breakdown and mental? I'm not sure, actually. So there's another thing that occurred to me, which is that about two weeks prior, I thought that I had hypothermia. So. I love skiing more than anything in this world. And what I most love about skiing is it gives me an opportunity to have conversations like we're having over chairlifts, right? While doing something that I love. And I was desperately trying to figure that out in Big Sky because I had figured that out beautifully in Vail. And it just wasn't coming together. And I had this day where I thought I was going to have a day like that. And it did not work at all, in part because it was so cold and I got colder than I had ever been before. And I always have a snack as soon as I come in from skiing. And I got home and I was so cold that I decided to jump in the shower first. And I had this experience that I've never experienced. So I have Raynos, which is a circulation issue. I, I uh, have it too. I told yeah. you late. It can be so painful. And do you get it in your fingers and toes? Yes. Okay. So so for audience listeners that don't know, it, it makes your blood rush to your core. So you get these white fingers and toes and it can make it really hard to stay warm. And when you're underweight, it makes that worse. Okay. So so I I got in the shower and I felt this pulsating, weird feeling that kind of felt like what it feels like when the blood rushes back into my fingers and toes. And I thought that I had hypothermia because of that. And I got out of the shower and had something to eat and I did okay. And is a second part of this mental breakdown story, 
I was in the ER again five days later when they were trying to figure out whether I was in diabetic shock and basically had the exact same experience that I'd had. And my mom happened to be with me at that time and said to me, I'm experiencing you like you're having a panic attack. And it helped us connect the dots that what I actually think was happening was that I had been having a series of panic attacks through this experience. And when I was not allowed to eat, my body was physically and mentally freaking out and was having panic attacks, which can also cause your brain to just sort of shut down. Uh huh. And something in that experience, as well as all of the perfect storm things that were happening with my hormones, which because I've listened to that podcast this morning, I'm now figuring out something happened with my heart rate. And I felt embarrassed that I didn't figure that out because my heart rate also registered as 80 when I went to a doctor's appointment when I wasn't in a crisis situation. And then again in the ER. And I, I didn't connect that in part because I was in an altered mental state. And in part because I haven't been much of a heart rate trainer ever. Like much is an exaggeration. I just don't track it. In part because I view exercise as my ability to get away from tracking metrics and using electronic devices. And so I've always resisted that, which I saw that as a positive force. But I'm realizing both as I did with the scale and with my heart rate that tracking these metrics are really important. Yeah. Yes. So this is a, actually an interesting topic too with the scale because you've mentioned the scale a lot. And there, I haven't, I never go on a scale except for my annual exam. And then it is what it is. You know, yeah. I, do, I try really hard not to attach any kind of emotion to it. And so when you said my scale's been in, you know, hiding for 18 months, I'm like, well, you could have got a new scale if the scale was important to you. And it sounds like for you, the scale might be important. For me, I don't want the scale. The scale isn't important to me. And that's just one metric. You know, we're also talking heart rate or other things like that. But can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think women really struggle with having this. The scale can make them feel bad about themselves. It could also make them feel good about themselves. Or is there a way to look use the scale where there is no emotion attached? I think that everyone is different. If you would have asked me eight weeks ago whether I could step on the scale without any emotion attached, I would have said yes. Which I'm not sure that I ever would have been able to say that in my entire life. It was mostly because I felt like I had made so much progress. But now I don't feel that way. And I, I don't think it was would have actually been true for me to have said that eight weeks ago, both because I didn't realize all these subconscious issues and also because I had a lot of shame about the fact that I was too thin. I didn't look good. And I was afraid that people would look at me and get scared. And I realized in this process that a lot of people, including the people closest to me, including people who had lived with me, were very scared and didn't know how to talk to me about it. And I had no idea how scared they were. Well, one of which is your husband who sees you every day. Well, my husband didn't see me every day, though. That was part of the problem. It was circumstantial. We were in the middle of this move and 
we were building a house in Montana. And so my husband rented a small apartment to be a part of that building while I was still in Colorado. And this was happening while you were in Colorado. And, you know, you mentioned like in the ER, they were like, well, she's intentionally anorexic. And part of me is like, well, how do you go down to 100 pounds without intentionally starving or depriving yourself? How does that happen? Well, it was a lot of things. So I had that surgery, which I mentioned to remove my ovary. And that was the onset of my weight loss, which made total sense because, well, first of all, my 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 tumor was the size of a tennis ball. So there was some weight there. <laughs> um, and then also, oh my God. Yeah. Um, actually, interesting side note, but the reason why I figured out that I had that tumor was because I had to pee constantly. And I went to a urologist and they had me do a CT scan and they were like, well, good news, your bladder seems to be functioning, but you have a giant tumor. <laughs> um, I share that just in case anyone has to pee frequently. I waited way too long to go see a urologist to handle that issue. So that happened. The second thing is I stopped exercising so much because I was... I would say would be classified as exercise bulimic when I was in college. I would exercise to very excessive endurance athlete levels because I wanted to eat. And there was a short period of my time where I felt like that was physically dangerous, but all of the patterns that led up to that and have continued afterward, you know, are still a part of my story. And I, as part of this move, just stopped caring so much about my exercise routine. And so I wasn't exercising as much and I lost a lot of muscle mass from that surgery as well. And so that contributed to my weight loss. And then I got sick. I had a series of stomach related issues and some stomach bugs. And right before I got to the point that I was a hundred pounds, which was my rock bottom weight, which happened right before this mental breakdown, I was sick. I had COVID. It was just like, I wasn't 100 pounds for very long. I want to also clarify that. I think that I was at like 107, which was too low, but it wasn't crisis low. But because of all these other events, I had dipped to crisis low. Hey, friends, quick break to share an awesome offer from our sponsor, Inside Tracker. This series is all about health. It's about prioritizing our personal wellness at every stage of life. Because let's face it, when our physical health is not optimal, everything else starts to fall apart. Remember when my back, my broken back started to get bad and I was eventually just slowly relegated to the couch and standing for 10 minutes. And yeah, I started to get depressed. I mean, this is what happens when our bodies are not obeying us. And the more we can learn about them from the inside out, the better off we're going to be. Inside Tracker makes it easy for you to analyze your body with convenient local or mobile, like at your home, blood draw services. They give you an expert analysis of your biomarkers and suggestions on how to improve them so that you can be the healthiest person you can be in body and, of course, in your mind. So be sure to take advantage of our offer from Inside Tracker. 
to be the best advocate for your own health that you can be. For a limited time, Run This World listeners get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. So visit insidetracker.com forward slash run this world. Make sure you go there, then they'll know that you found them through me. And if you have any questions, I am here for you. Just email Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com. I'll get back to you. All right, everybody. That's it for now. Let's get back to the show. The only thing that I want to make sure we talk about is shame. Because you opened up by saying, like, I wrote down, she kicked the shame bucket, I'm like, she doesn't have shame anymore, but you walked around with this veil of shame over you and it had to affect how you interacted on a daily basis and how how different it must feel now. So maybe that's worth a a side note here. I think it's a big note. First of all, I have a lot of shame, but it's for different reasons than most people assume. I have a lot of shame about the fact that I allowed myself to get to 100 pounds. I am an endurance athlete. I'm a former fitness instructor. I went for an entire year tracking every single calorie and my caloric burn, not because I wanted to be thinner, but because I wanted to get pregnant, which is a whole nother story. But in that process, I learned exactly how much fat, protein, sugar, et cetera, I was taking in and exactly how much I needed to eat to maintain my level of fitness. And that was 15 years ago. And my body is different. But I have a lot of shame that I have all that knowledge and I allowed myself to get to this point. I also have a lot of shame that I've realized in this process that there are all sorts of family and marital and friend relationship patterns that got me into this situation that I kept inside. In large part, because I was going through a lot. I was moving and building a house and I've been largely professionally uninspired for three years, which I'm not sure it's important why that is, but it's important because I'm someone who deeply loves to do the work that I'm inspired by. And I didn't have that. And I was doing stuff that I wasn't good at, like unpacking boxes and and managing contractors and stuff like that. And I have a lot of shame about the fact that those are all seriously first world problems. You know, when when I mentioned before that I split my time between Vail and Boulder, Colorado, and I switched Mm -hmm. that to move it to Big Sky and Helena, that that sounds so privileged. And I have a lot of shame about that. And I have a lot of shame about the head start that I had to get that. And I feel like I haven't accomplished enough. And oh, so much shame. But I think that this is more than a side note for so many reasons, but I'm going to pause to take a breath. I I agree. And you know what makes what makes this so powerful is that you are being open about it. And that goes all the way back to the overshare, the things that you used to not do. You know, you used to keep this stuff inside and you are putting it out there. And so many people are shaking their heads. Yes, I can relate. So um I mentioned that my husband didn't have the opportunity to see me consistently. I 
also feel scared to share that when he did mention things, he unintentionally used shame to try to motivate me. And he would say things like, Elizabeth, you are so skinny. And I didn't feel like I looked good. I was embarrassed by the way that I looked. And he's always told me in a positive way that he likes women with a little bit of curve. And I think that subconsciously, it's really hard for me to feel like my husband might think that he's smarter than me on a topic that I know a lot about. First of all, my husband does have a lot of knowledge around athletics. He's an incredibly talented athlete who played baseball and football in college. My husband also has extraordinary natural athletic talent, which I do not have. And as a result, I have had to use things like nutritional knowledge and exercise knowledge and all the things that I so appreciate that you share on your podcast that helps me to figure that stuff out to do what I love in athletics. And a lot of times he tries to share the things that work for him as a way to figure out what'll work for me. And they're not going to work for me. And when I tell him they're not going to work for me, he gets hurt because he feels like I'm not listening. But they're just not going to work for me because I'm a woman who doesn't have that athletic ability. I feel nervous that I shared that in large part because we haven't had the opportunity to talk through all this stuff because we're still working through it. And I haven't had an opportunity to clear that one particular point with him, which I will do before we air this. But he actually told me the most helpful thing that he's told me in this whole process last night, which is we were working through some of this stuff. And he said to me, Elizabeth, I have been told by society my entire life that I should never talk to women about their weight. How do you expect me to know how to talk about this stuff? Oh my gosh. I'm on the edge of goosebumps the whole time because I I now finally, I've never thought about it that way from a male perspective. Wow. This is hard for everyone. He wants to support you more than anything and he doesn't know how. And if we would have addressed this a year ago, Maybe we could have prevented all this stuff. I don't know. And I also want to state that through this experience, the most beautiful thing that happened to me is that I have realized that I have so much love in my life that I don't have a single person who would do anything to intentionally hurt me in my life. And one important lesson that I learned is that through this experience, several people have asked me if I have ever experienced a traumatic event like physical or emotional or sexual abuse. And it never even occurred to me to think about that because I've lived such a life of deep love and privilege. But I think it's a really important thing to think about when you're helping people through these issues. Yeah. Uh, Wow. And gosh, so many ways we could go from here. So, Um, Can I go back? You had said there were three like buckets. You there was the power of the beautiful things you've learned. Then there were the embarrassing and then the deeply grateful. I kind of feel like we've talked about all of those things, but maybe only under the guise of one bucket. 
You know, mm. Maybe everything you learned hits on all three, but does that help recenter you a little bit? Yeah, I think I think that that's right. And I think that it would be good to share the most embarrassing and the most hurtful. Yes. Okay. So the most embarrassing thing that is an important piece of this puzzle is that I have spent somewhere between a half an hour and four hours in the bathroom each day over the last 15 years because I have had extreme digestive health issues. I believe that most of this is genetic. My great-grandfather had ulcers so severely that toward the end of his life, he was only able to eat milk and bread, which is comical that that's what was prescribed to him in 2023. Hmm. But that's what was prescribed to him because he had so many stomach ulcers. Wow. My mother and my brother have also had issues on that same side of the family. And I believe that one, I'm genetically prone to have health issues. Two, I think the fact that I was raised to believe that I could eat any food that I want to in the Midwest, which meant for me, McDonald's and sugar and other unhealthy things that I had have always seen those things as a reward and the positives. And I think that that took a toll on my digestive system, all sorts of things. And I feel very nervous that my mother is going to take a lot of blame for what I just said. And that leads me to a very important lesson that I learned in this, which is my mother would literally give her life for me. She has made raising me and my brother, her top priority. And in an effort to take our pain away, she often takes on that pain herself. And that is not helpful. Because in this experience, I had the opportunity to be with my parents. I had the serendipitous opportunity to be with my parents because I was on my way to go visit them when this all happened. And that happened with my mother. And it made it so much harder for me to heal myself. And the best thing that she did in that whole process is she, we had to get a psychiatrist appointment in this process. And that is terrifyingly difficult to do right now. It was going to take me 35 days to get into a psychiatrist in a point where I was in a seriously dangerous mental state because of all these physical things happening to me. And it was only because I could make a personal phone call to the health system's largest donor that I was able to get into an appointment. Wow. One of the largest donors, just to clarify, because that person might listen to this. But uh, um, yeah, she took me to that appointment. And because of unimportant circumstances, she didn't have a chance to eat before we went to that thing. And she wanted to stop at the McDonald's drive through on the way, which she did. And it was the nicest thing that she did to me that whole time, both because I remembered all those times when she took me through the McDonald's drive through is her way of showing her love for me, which even though it might have royally messed me up, 
I'm still so grateful she did that because it felt like so much love even then and so and so much now. And two, because she took care of herself. And she made me five minutes late to my appointment, but it didn't matter because I had to wait 35 minutes to get into the appointment anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Did you get something when you went through the drive-thru? No, I was sleeping, which was even better because I was having so much trouble sleeping. And when she was a, when I was a little girl, she would drive me around as a way to make me fall asleep. Oh. And as a result, I am such a good sleeper in cars. And so I said, Mommy, I just want you to drive me and let me sleep, which she did. Oh. Uh, so anyway, my whole point in telling this, this these beautiful things is that I have had serious digestive health issues. And I have been at the point especially over the last year because of a lot of positive health movements that I've made. And in large part, because I think that at the worst points of my digestive health issues were also the worst points of my hormonal imbalances. And I don't think a lot of people make that correlation. I also think that when people have these experiences, like spending four hours in a bathroom that they are deeply embarrassed by that and they don't know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it causes you to do so many things that are hurtful to other people. I missed so many important life events and had to cancel so many meetings. And I am a person who does not like to let people down. I just want to say it's okay. It's okay. Like, I just want to give you a hug because it sucks. It sucks. But you carrying shame for that over all the years is worse than whatever that person felt on that day. 100%. Nicole, I have, I have felt a lot of guilt about the fact I actually want to out one thing, which I think is an important correlation to this story, which is in the midst of all this, you reached out. I think you, it's okay to say this because you've told me it was okay before, but Nicole is actually an investor in the fund that I run. I, I run a venture capital fund. And she reached out to me to ask me when I was sending her tax documents because she wanted to do her taxes. <laughs> And I felt so badly because I was not in the cognitive or emotional place where I could write you a thoughtful email as to why I didn't have those. <laughs> and two, 99.9% of the reason why you still do not have this tax document has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I've gone through this over the last six weeks. It was totally uncorrelated. But I missed one very small detail, which did delay it which is we changed the CPA firms. And when I was in the ER, actually serendipitously on that exact day, I got this email that said, welcome to our portal, sign up now. And my assistant who has been amazing has been picking up all these pieces um, to help me work through this. And she missed that piece because it just was so such an uneventful piece. And I didn't actually give her access to my email so I could I could see the subject lines of things, 
which these are unimportant details, but I'm sure that my executive assistant is going to listen to this. And so I just want to make sure that she knows that I I saw everything that she did is 100% amazing and nothing else. So anyway, I missed that detail and it delayed things. (laughs) And I don't want to speak for you, but I have I imagine that this conversation that we are having is going to be so much more meaningful than me getting your text document. Totally. I mean, the the truth at the end of the day is always it's what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen to anyone to, you know, there there are some really bad things that can happen. But when your tax documents are delayed, the worst that could happen is you might file an extension. Big deal. Who cares? It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> It's no impact. Zero yeah. on me. And um, getting you healthy and to a place where you can continue to spread your energy in this world and do the good things and, you know, move on that ride on that incredible inspiration that you usually have is where we need to get you back to. Mm-hmm. And you're on your way, I can tell. And better. Yeah, you know, a lot of people in this this process have said in a way to intentionally show their love to me that they can't wait for me to get back to the old Elizabeth. And that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it was hurtful. Um, one, because I've never seen, you know, I've, I've gone through a lot, but with the exception of the few hours that I was in the ER those two times, I've been totally aware and extremely self-aware of all the lessons that I was learning in this. And also, I liked myself through that whole process. And so when they're like, oh, can't wait for you to be your old self. And and they say things that, that maybe they just don't catch, like, well, I hope we don't go back to nutso, Elizabeth, and stuff like that, oh. which was super interesting awareness around mental health issues. You're like, yeah, I was nuts. Right. You earlier when we were talking about or you mentioned HRT kind of when we were starting off this conversation, um, you were like, my body's not the same body it was seven years ago. Not only your body, I mean, your mind, everything about us is constantly changing, which makes all of this self-discovery and, uh, you know, trying to improve our health, a, a moving target, right? You're just yeah. constantly moving with the changes and things that worked, like you said, this balance you had worked really well in Boulder. But when you moved yourself to a new place, suddenly that's the thing that broke the camel's back and it no longer worked. So I think it goes along with this concept that like there is no old Elizabeth, (laughs) like there isn't. It's just you're constantly a new version of yourself that's just slowly evolving. Usually in your case, you had a situation that occurred here that's causing major evolution all at once. But most of the time, we're all just slowly evolving. So I love that message to people. Let's not talk and and ourselves. Let's not try to get back to our old self. Let's not try to recreate our college body. Like you're not going to fit into the bikinis or wear them the same way that you did in college if your body is doing what it's naturally meant to do 30, 40 years later. You know what I mean? So to try to set yourself standards that are 
from the past you, whether you were happy then or not, it's not going to work now. So I don't know exactly where I'm going with this. No, it's an important important point. It's not going to work, but more importantly, But perhaps more importantly, it might be much better that it doesn't work. Yes. Oh, what a great way to put it. So just I'll just give one example because we're running short on time. But I was very regimented about my workout routine in part because I had figured out how much time I needed to recover from a, a hard impact like a run. So I would run on Sundays and then I would swim on Mondays and then I would rest on Tuesday and then I would run again on Wednesday. And that allowed me to know when I was going to be certain places at certain times and and when I was going to feel tired and all those things. And it worked really pretty well. But it also meant that it prevented me from experimenting it also prevented me from taking opportunity for serendipitous, beautiful things that I was ignoring because I was so focused on my routine. And that is one of the most important lessons that I've learned from this move is that you don't always know what life has in store for you. Just like I didn't know that I was going to listen to that podcast to tell me that hormone issues might be related to 80 beats per minute heart rate. Yes. So, so, so the point is, you are a new person. You just happen to have like almost a cleaner slate than a lot of people when they, when they realize that they want to change or do something different. Like you hit a rock bottom. Do you think you would have gotten to this place had you not hit that bottom? No. And people keep saying to me, I'm so sorry that you went through this. And I don't feel that way at all because we figured this out. You know, I'm not, I'm sure that we haven't completely figured this out because this is all a moving target, but we, we figured most of this out in two weeks time. And these are huge issues that have been cumulative over 41 years. Yeah. Given the topic of your podcast, I think it might be good to dig into this HRT a little bit more. Yes, I want to. Okay. So I have an idea, which is we've talked a a bit about the things that people have done that they thought were a sign of love that were actually hurtful. And I know that you've been going through a lot with menopause, perimenopause and and just hormone-related issues. And I was wondering if you would allow me to talk through that stuff with you in a way that I wish somebody would have talked through my issues before I started this process. Yes, do it. Okay. Let's go. (laughs) And one quick thing before we do that. Um, You know, I've been listening to your podcast for so long and... One of the things that I always remember, and it's my favorite episode, is that you did this episode where you just talked about what was happening in your life with no no guests. And it was a New Year's related episode. And the theme was, maybe we're exactly where we need to be. Yes, I remember that one. (laughs) And that was so meaningful for me for two reasons. One, because that has definitely been the theme of this whole experience. And two, I 
loved that you were willing to just open up and for you to be the center of attention. And you're starting to do that more in the last few episodes. I've been hearing more of you. But I just want to remind you that I love hearing about you and that I often learn the most by just hearing about you. Wow, that is amazing. Because I think as humans, we're often naturally, we we don't want to talk too much about ourselves. It makes us feel like we're acting. I don't know what the word is, but like the world revolves around us. And what do people really want to know about me? And am I that interesting? Do I have that much to share? So yeah, I have kept those episodes to a minimum. But just hearing that from you makes me really smile. It makes me feel good. Like, you know, we do have a lot to share. And when it's important to share it and you figure out how to verbalize it, it's time to put it out there. I might have to do another one of these soon, but I'm anxious to see where you take us. (laughs) I love it. All right, let's go. So, Nicole, uh, I've learned from your podcast that you have had some challenges over the past few years with issues related to perimenopause. Do you, is that accurate? Definitely. But I will say that I didn't know that it was potentially perimenopause when various symptoms started to occur. I just thought something else was going on. Hmm. So it's often in hindsight, I think, that we figure this out. And that was probably true for me. Ah, thanks. And do you still feel like this is an important challenge in your life? Yes, definitely. In fact, only uh, getting bigger, more complex, and um, less in control. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I figured that was obvious because you have a whole uh, podcast series on... (laughs) This topic. However, I asked a question because I learned in this process that things that I thought were completely obvious about myself and about others were actually incorrect. Sometimes, yeah. And those assumptions can get you into big trouble. Um, so what are you currently thinking about as far as what you want to do to work through this challenge? Well, I think... There's been a couple roadblocks and I'm starting to make progress on them. But I, if you asked what I'm currently thinking, let me go back for a second. What I originally thought was that I should try to push through, be tough, be the athlete, you know, that I always have been. And just suffering a little is okay as I see if they go away on their own, if they can resolve. And by things, you know, I'm kind of being vague about it, but my sleep has not been great. I'm having more anxiety thoughts in the middle of the night when I wake up. And largely I wake up because I'm having night sweats. All Mm. things that are very related to perimenopause. Um, My body's also changing and I have no idea what my waistline is going to look like from one day to the next, which pair of pants or, you know, outfit I'm going to feel good in. And I feel like I don't have a lot of control over that. That's been confusing and difficult. And, um, 
You know, I think those are kind of the main things, but actually the very biggest issue that I face on a daily basis that I forgot to mention because it is precisely this is brain fog. So I'm being I'm used to being this articulate, hard charging, inspired person, very, you know, quick and with good wit and all that. And there are days when I can't think of a freaking word to save my life. And it's the it's weird. And I didn't it feels like and I know you haven't had a child, but a lot of people go through this mommy brain thing and it happens for like a year or so after you have a baby and people just go, oh, your brain's just taken up by all kinds of other things. So you can't think of, you know, the word milk. You're like, what's that white thing that I drink? Can you put some of that in a cup? You know, like that's what's happening again. And so those all of those physical and mental symptoms combined are making life more challenging. So my Hmm. first thought, like we had just talked about, was I should try to tough this stuff out. But now I'm reaching a point where I think I would like to experiment with some different, um, you know, potential remedies, whether herbal and or, you know, HRT. So that's Hmm. where I am. Does that help lay a better foundation? Wow, that's amazing. First of all, I'm so sorry that you went through all of that. That Still going. must have been hard. Yeah. <laughs> what was the hardest thing for you in that process? Or um, is? You know, feeling like you're losing your functions and that this is just how life is going to be or get worse from here. You know, it'd be nice to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that this is not a decline, but maybe a change. What was the hardest thing to lose? Um, oh, geez. I, you know, honestly, it's an attachment to who I was. <laughs> right? Exactly huh. what we were just talking about, how we're constantly changing and so embracing the change instead of trying to grasp on to the way things were has probably been the huh. hardest. Huh. Thank you. My new therapist, Elizabeth Faust. <laughs> so, first of all, I want to out that I actually have major imposter sy- syndrome going through this process, uh, in large part because I'm not a t- trained professional by any means. And and also because I have the beautiful opportunity to work directly with people who are extraordinary trained professionals and and CEO coaches, et cetera, who do this beautifully and, and also do it with a lot of training and knowledge that I don't have. So I want to just out that I'm doing this from my own personal experience. And I also want to out that I feel proud that I, even though I don't have all that training, that I still think I'm pretty good at this. (laughs) You're great. You are a great listener too. And it was interesting to be, um, you know, therapized myself. (laughs) Oh, I want to, if you're willing, I want to point out a couple of things that I thought that you did really well, um, which is you, you articulated a lot of the the things that you thought might be important for me and for others to hear, which is that you didn't realize that these symptoms were attributed to perimenopause. You also um, allowed me to see that 
in knowing what I know about you, that some of these things might be really hard for you. Uh, and, and that you didn't as much do in that moment, but you've done that over the course of everything that you put out in the world. And so I really appreciate that. Um, the thing that I instinctually wanted to do was to what's called hero you, which is when you were saying all these things, I like like the brain fog thing that you can't, you're not as articulate as you used to be. I wanted to say, you're still amazing. You're so articulate. I never would have noticed the difference. And how would you have felt if I would have done that? That's a really good point. I don't think it would have made me feel better. I don't know. Could it have made you feel worse? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and why is that? I think it might be because you know how extraordinary your mind can be, in particular with this brain fog issue. And when someone says, I don't see any difference, that might seem like a major insult. Yeah, because then you're like, well, then was I this like a big dummy before too? You know, for lack of a better word. There you go. The brain fog. Yeah. Wow. My second instinct was to start to tell you all the things that I thought you could do to solve your problems based on what's worked for me. How would that have made you feel? Yeah, I probably would have tuned out. Yeah. Would you have felt insulted or hurt? Maybe a little. Um, I'm not sure if those are the right words, but you just. uh, Yeah. Almost like, well, how do you know what's going on in my body? How can you really relate with your experience to what's going on in my body and mind? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my third instinct was to tell you a bunch of things that I've tried, which maybe you've already tried. And if you had already tried them and I told you that, how would you have felt? (laughs) Oh, this is good. Yeah. Just like this whole, like it's helpless, hopeless, you know? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So So have you been through all of this? Definitely. In many different ways. Telling me to do stuff that I've already tried or that I've already thought of. I think that's particularly annoying to entrepreneurs and people who are used to moving quickly because at best, it makes us slow down, which is incredibly frustrating. And at worst, it makes us feel like people don't respect our ability to help ourselves. And I learned through this experience that sometimes people try to help you in a way that feels good to them, which might be being your hero at a time that you really don't want a hero because you want to feel like you can do this, that you're strong. And you don't want someone to tell you specifically that you're strong and you can do this because it makes you feel like maybe they don't believe that's true. Yeah. Yes. What a great way to put it. So do you want to close this out or do we want to? I, I want to ask you, where do we go from here? Hmm. You know, all of us, me, you, everyone listening, 
So to round out my framework that I wanted to do this, I'm actually not going to share the thing that was most hurtful to me specifically, which I thought I was going to do at the beginning of this podcast. I learned a serendipitous lesson yesterday, which was when I was pre- I was preparing for this podcast and I serendipitously stood in the chairlift line with this man who had had a terrible, terrible ski accident that resulted in a very long time in the hospital. And I was excited to see him because I said, oh my gosh, I am going to do this podcast tomorrow. And I'm talking about how when people do things to help you, that they unintentionally can really hurt you. And I'm, I'd love to hear how that related to your experience. And he got choked up and said, I can't talk about that. There's a reason that I can't talk about that. And at some point I can, but I can't today. And I was so grateful that he said that to me. One, because I've learned in this process that some people think that they can help you by extending themselves past their healthy ability to do so and that it's not helpful. And so I was really glad that he stood his ground in that. And two, it helped me realize that sometimes, one, I think that I'm ready to say something and I'm not. And two, just because I am ready to release the hurt that I've experienced over the last 41 years, the other people around me may not be ready to hear it, especially when we've gone through this pandemic where everybody is dealing with their own stuff. And so I'm not going to share what I thought that I was going to share specifically, but broadly, when Nicole and I started this conversation before we were recording, I asked her not to introduce me in a way that would reveal that I run a venture capital fund that invests in startups led by at least one female leader. And the reason why I asked her not to share that detail leads to the most hurtful realization that I've had through this process. I did not want to start that fund because I have always seen myself as someone who is equally capable of men. And I've never believed that my gender prevented me from achieving anything that I wanted to achieve. I grew up skiing with the boys and keeping up with them. I grew up with an incredibly strong mother. And I don't like using my gender as a quote unquote excuse for being unequal. And I believe in this process that part of the reason why I was not believed both by medical professionals and why my opinion was not valued by some of the men that I most admire and I most love in this world is because I am a woman. And I have never admitted that publicly, even though I run a fund that is focused on women. And the reason why I ultimately decided to run that fund is because my business partner is an incredibly persuasive woman who told me that there is a lot of data that shows that gender diversity does increase returns and that the two of us are uniquely talented in helping women see some of the blind spots that often 
for no fault of theirs, but just because we have had these societal and natural differences for hundreds of generations, that we are going to be different and that we can see that. And I decided to join forces with her. And it's worked, I think, well, it's still playing out, but beautifully for us in many ways. And through that process, I've never admitted that maybe something that was not good happened to me because I was a woman. And I'm going to think about that a lot. Well, half of the world out there is going to be thinking about it, too, because we are all going through the same thing and we all go through it at different times in our lives. And some of us may never realize that there were any barriers or anything related to our gender, but you are going through something right now that is really kicking your ass and showing you its true colors. Wow. Well, let me say that there may be a part two because back in the day, I did a talk on the on the stage at E-Town and it was for a tour called the Truth Teller Tour. And we were supposed to get up there and share a truth. And I decided to share publicly the truth about my battle with alcoholism. And I went up and did it. And there were four of us on the stage. And um, I don't even, I remember doing my talk and sitting back down and going, what just happened? Like, I don't even know what I said. When the video came out, I watched it in one minute increments backwards. I went all the way to the end. I was like, okay, that was okay. And I just kept going a minute further back to watch. And the other two, uh, two of the three other women went and told very powerful stories, you know, and truths about themselves. But the fourth woman went up and she said, I'm in it right now. I, I can't share it. It's happening to me right now in my life. I'm not equipped to actually share what it is, but I'm inviting you to be okay sitting in the discomfort of the in-between because that's where I am. And today you have been so open in sharing the things that you have uncovered thus far but what I feel is that you are still in the in-between. You have not come through to the other side. It's like there's a valley and then a forest and another valley. And you're sitting there grappling your way through this forest right now. You're like winding your way through the trees and like finding the path and figuring out the trail. And when you come through to the next valley... And, and you will have a full understanding, I think, as you continue to still change every day after that. But I think there will be a part two here. And um, I can't wait to hear what it is because what you shared today has been so powerful and is helping and going to help so many people. So thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. 